0: I want to return to uh, the beginning of a series of sermons that I plan to preach called Plagiarizing Jesus. I'm going to be reading a sermon or portions each week of the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that Jesus himself preached recorded in the book of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We heard a, a verse from chapter 7 read just a few moments ago. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because Matthew records... That Jesus sat down on a mountainside as he delivered these words. I told you a couple weeks ago that you can kind of think of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus' treatise on the kingdom of God. The gospels say he had been proclaiming the kingdom, he had been talking about the kingdom, and then he finally sat down to explain the kingdom. And so I'm going to begin today by doing what the title says. I'm going to plagiarize Jesus. I'm going to just read a a portion, the next portion of his sermon. These words are not going to appear on the screen before you. Instead, I want you to just imagine that you are part of the crowd that day. You see Jesus sit down. You listen as he says these words. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, Most of you know that I've kinda got off track in my scheduling. I didn't preach a sermon last Sunday. This was the sermon that I had planned on preaching last Sunday, which means that when I mapped out the series of sermons in my calendar, I had planned that today I would be preaching the next portion of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus describes Uh, the, the law of God, and he makes a reference to the fact that not one stroke of the pen will be removed from God's law. And with that in mind, knowing that it was Father's Day, we ordered gifts for all of the men in the HRCC congregation. And because I had planned on talking about each stroke of the pen, we ordered pens for all of the guys. And so on the way out today, if you're a guy here, you don't have to be a dad. We're we're honoring all the men that are part of this church family. You'll have a selection. There's a few different colors, but these are actually great pens. They aren't plastic. These are metal, so they're real sturdy. Uh, There's a ballpoint pen on one side, there's a a touch screen stylus on the other side, there's a a measured ruler along the the side of the pen, and there's a bubble level on this pen. It's gonna go in the garage, in the junk drawer, it's gonna go in, in, in the tool kit, it's gonna just be a real handy, I hope, gift for each one of you guys here. They come in a few different colors, make sure you grab one on your way out. And I wanna tell you this, each time you grab this pen, I want you to remember that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. <laughs> I had considered returning them and exchanging them for salt shakers and flashlights, but that didn't seem to make sense. So we'll just remember that the Dan was, was a little off <laughs> when he made plans. I hope you enjoy your pens. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. These are familiar words to many Bible readers. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Before we really dig in deeply and unpack those phrases, I think we need to figure out who the you is in those statements. Who is Jesus talking to? Who exactly is the salt of the earth? Who exactly is the light of the world? To answer that question, I want to turn back a couple of pages in Scripture so that we can remind ourselves of who was listening to Jesus' words that day. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 records that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them, check this, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan Followed him. So we have a large crowds from a variety of different places following Jesus. If we took a modern day map and superimposed it over the regions that were referenced in the passage that I just read, we would have people from modern day nation of Israel, modern day Jordan, modern day Syria, and perhaps even as far north as modern day Lebanon. We would have Jews, we would have Gentiles. There were people in that crowd that day who had heard Jesus teach. There were a few people, maybe more than a few, who had been miraculously healed by him. Can you picture the crowd. This is a large, diverse crowd of people. We turn the page in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, now when Jesus saw that crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. This is the beginning, right? The crowd is there, but check this. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So there's a big crowd, but it was his disciples that came to him when he sat down and Jesus began to teach them. There's a lot of people that could hear Jesus' words that day, but he was speaking specifically to his disciples. Now, I don't think it's necessary for us to presume that that means only the 12. Disciples can be a broader term than that, but it certainly refers to those that were there that day who were committed followers of Jesus, those who had committed to learning from Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's the same word as discipline. A disciple is a disciplined follower and learner and those were the people that he was speaking to today. You know, I think the same thing applies today. A lot of people can hear what Jesus is saying. A lot of people have heard the stories. A lot of people can read their Bible verses. A lot of people can even claim an encounter or tell a story about how one day he impacted their lives. A lot of people can hear what Jesus is saying. But Jesus isn't necessarily speaking to them. He speaks to his disciples. He speaks to his disciples. And so there's a difference between being in the crowd and hearing Jesus and being a disciple who's learning from Jesus. The crowds come and go as their schedules dictate. When Jesus was done speaking that day, presumably the crowds crowd packed it up, called an Uber and went home. But the disciples followed. The disciples don't come and go on their own schedule. They follow no matter what. They're committed to the discipline of following and learning. And that's who Jesus is talking to. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus is talking to his disciples, followers who are committed to the discipline of learning. And they are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. It's important to recognize that because as we go on and reread these verses today, if you've made a commitment to discipleship, then these words apply to you. But if you've only ever been part of the crowd, if you've only ever kind of listened from a distance, and and maybe you even had a story about a past encounter or something Jesus has done for you, that's okay. Take a listen. But consider today following more closely. Consider what it might mean for your life if you choose to step out of the crowd and become a disciple. And so with that in mind, let's look again at what he had to say to them that day. Matthew chapter five, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. When I was junior high age, uh my f- grandparents lived in Kentucky, my family used to go down there fairly regularly and visit them. One time my parents and I were down in Kentucky and we took uh, the rather short trip from my grandparents' home to my grandpa's sister's home, my great aunt Evelyn. And We had dinner with Aunt Evelyn and her husband that day and Evelyn made a home-cooked country meal, and when it was over, she brought out her home-baked dessert. It was a chocolate cream pie. Mm-hmm. And as a junior high boy, with was a little bit of a weight problem. I was blessed that day. <laughs> I was excited about Aunt Evelyn's homemade chocolate cream pie, so she cut it into different slices and put it down little plates, and she passed it out to everybody at the table. I was the only kid in the room that day, and I remember from my position at the table watching as the first couple of grown-ups at the table took took a fork full of chocolate cream, homemade chocolate cream pie, and put it in their mouth and kind of simultaneously did one of these. Mmm, 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 mmm. Oh, and Evelyn, this is interesting. And there was some awesome silted conversations about what are we going to do here, until it was discovered that Anne Evelyn had mistakenly, instead of using sugar in the recipe, used salt. Instead of sugar in Anne Evelyn's chocolate cream pie, she had used salt. And at first she didn't believe it, but then she had a bite of her own chocolate cream pie with salt. And she said, oh my goodness. And she was embarrassed and humiliated and she kind of cried, and all the grown-ups did a very good job of saying, yeah, Evelyn, it's okay. Dinner was wonderful, it's great, it's perfect, we're fine. Everybody makes a mistake once in a while. And it was just about at this point that I had the last bite from my plate and said, I like this. <laughs> I ate that salty chocolate cream pie. It wasn't the best I'd ever had, but it was in fact chocolate, and I I liked it. Even I knew there was something wrong. There's no denying the influence of salt. It occurs to me that even if Anne Evelyn had recognized her mistake halfway through the baking process, no amount of sugar added to that pie would, would mask the fact that salt had been used. No amount of Cool Whip placed on top of that pie would mask the fact that salt had been used. There's no denying the influence of salt. In a somewhat related story, I can report to you that as an adult, I suffer from high blood pressure. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> I blame my own others. My doctor has told me that one of the things I need to do in order to manage my high blood pressure is watch my salt intake. And I have learned that the same principle applies. If I have a plate full of nachos with salty chips and salty cheese and salty salsa, there's no amount of healthy food I can eat afterwards (laughs) that's gonna mitigate the pound of salt I just took into my body. There aren't enough vegetables in the world that can mitigate the amount of salt. When you eat too much salt, there's nothing you can do. You've had too much salt, Salt's gonna salt, right? It's gonna do what it's gonna do. There's nothing you can do to cancel the influence that salt has on your body. Jesus is saying to everyone who can hear that followers of his are like that in the world. He's not telling the disciples to try to be salt. He's not telling them to try to influence others. He's saying that their influence is inescapable. It's going to happen. It can't be stopped. Jesus is saying that followers of Jesus are influencers in the world. Followers of Jesus are influencers in the world. In this day and age, that word influencer has a different connotation than it used to. We have now, internet influencers. We have people who, old guys like me say, for reasons nobody can understand, have become internet famous, And they set trends, and they dictate fashion, and they dictate styles, and they are influencers because of the influence that they have on social media or, or online and different internet channels. Charlie D'Amelio has 141 million followers on TikTok. And if you have ever been on the internet and seen a 30 second clip of somebody doing some goofy dance, chances are they're doing that because they were influenced by Charlie D'Amelio. Praise be unto Jesus. PewDiePie, I'm guessing that's not his given name. 111 million subscribers on YouTube to PewDiePie who's influencing literally, do we hear that? Hundreds of millions of people. And people like this, no matter what they do, people notice. If they wear it, others buy it. If they eat it, others eat it. If they do it, others do it. This is what influencers are for reasons that old guys like me can't even explain. Millions of people make millions of decisions every day based on the influence of internet celebrities. (laughs) I didn't say it. You said it. (laughs) Jesus is not saying that his followers have the ability to influence millions. Do we hear what he's saying? He's saying his followers are influencing millions. And so as disciples, we have to be very, very careful about how we wield that influence. How we live matters. What we say matters. What we do matters and how we do it matters because Jesus says the world is watching. 141 million followers on TikTok, that ain't nothing. The world's watching my people. That's what Jesus says. On the other hand, when we, uh, when we use that influence poorly, it matters. When we gossip, when we speak or act unwisely, when we pass along false information, when we fail to live as Jesus lived, when we act foolishly, we are still people of influence, but now we're using that influence poorly from a kingdom dynamic that makes us no longer profitable, no longer useful for anything other than to be trampled underfoot. So if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, the issue isn't whether or not you have influence. So I think a lot of us feel like we don't. A lot of us feel like, who's watching me? Hear the word of the Lord today. the world's watching The world's paying attention. Your testimony matters. The issue isn't whether or not you have influence. The issue is how are you using that influence? Let's go on. Verse 14, Jesus continues and says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. How many of you have had the experience of Uh, Spending the night in a hotel room and struggling to get it dark in the hotel room. Uh I think the hotel industry, for some reason, feels like that's their gift to America, is that we're going to make it impossible to make it dark in this room. The curtains never close all the way, do they? They never, ever close. I was just at a conference a, a month or so ago. I couldn't get the curtains in my hotel room to close I ended up taking, I had a lanyard that I was wearing at the conference. I, I, I took it off and used the clip on that to clip, to clip the curtains close. Life hack, feel free to use that. Consider me your internet influencer of the day. The curtains never close right. Then if you finally do get the curtains to close like, there's a light on the TV or a light on the remote. There's a light. One night I remember going to bed and there's like a red laser of death coming down from the smoke detector. There's the telephone. There's some other appliance. There's just no way of getting your hotel room dark enough so you can sleep. I'm good. But how many of you have had that struggle and then in the middle of the night you wake up because you need to find the bathroom (laughs) and you're like, I don't know where I am. (laughs) And it's in that moment that there's a light to help you. It's coming from the microwave. It's coming from the telephone. It's coming from that that stupid light on on the light switch in the bathroom. You know what I mean? The The little LED on that. There's a light guiding the way and you're saying, thank you, Jesus. The light is shining. The light has come. There is a way to navigate through the darkness. Jesus says that his followers function as the light does in the darkness, in the confusion, in the unknown surroundings of this world. Followers of Jesus are influencers in the world and bring understanding to the world. We're not just influencers, we're not just salt, we're not just influencers in the world, we also bring understanding to the world. In addition to being Father's Day, today is Juneteenth, June 19th. uh, holiday that's gotten more uh, acknowledgement and understanding in the last couple of years is now a federal holiday. If you're not familiar with June 19th, let me quickly tell you the story. Juneteenth is the commemoration of the day when federal troops reached the southernmost part of the Confederacy and proclaimed freedom for the slaves who were still enslaved. And what's interesting about that is Juneteenth took place on June 19th, in 1865, when federal troops reached Galveston, Texas. Now, that is several months after the Civil War ended. And it's a couple of years after the Emancipation Proclamation actually freed those slaves. But it's not good enough, it's not sufficient enough to just have a law on the books. The proclamation needed to be heard. Clarity and understanding needed to be brought. There was a gap between saying it was so and understanding that it was so. Darkness makes the world a confusing place. Most children fear the dark, and I think a lot of adults do too. We don't like darkness. Can't get your bearings in the darkness. You could stub your toes in the darkness. Parents, you could step on a Lego in the darkness. It can be hard to find the truth when you're only ever surrounded by darkness. The message of Jesus is that we don't need to live that way. Aren't you glad for the light? Aren't you glad that light always overcomes the darkness? Hear this today, light doesn't have to hide. Light doesn't have to run from the darkness. Light has nothing to fear from darkness. The world's afraid of the dark. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And so there you are in your hotel room, the tiniest light emanating from maybe the thermostat, or like I said, the the microwave. And at 3 a.m., even that little teeny tiny light, when you are tired and when you are disoriented, that little tiny light is there bringing you an understanding of your surroundings. That's how followers of Jesus function in the world. Do you remember, I preached several weeks back when we were looking at the book of Genesis, the very beginnings. We talked one week about how we were made in his image, how that means that we are God's representatives in his creation. And what we are doing is giving the entire universe a reference point for God. We, we look around and we say, well, how could I do that? How could, I, how could I shine in this darkness? How could I be the representation point of God? We don't have much. There aren't, there aren't very many of us. We're outnumbered. Compared to us, the darkness seems all-consuming. But the Holy Spirit says, oh, that's OK. Listen to this. It's not about quantity. It's about physics. It's not about quantity, the Holy Spirit says. It's about physics. Even a tiny light will overcome the darkness that surrounds it and give understanding to all who will see. God doesn't really make sense to people who are living in darkness. They can't see it. They don't get it. They don't have a level of understanding. God doesn't make sense to people living in darkness. But when the light comes, they understand. That's why John Newton said in his famous hymn, "'Twas blind, but now I see. "'Twas blind, living in darkness. Oh, but now I see. Now I have understanding. Now I get it." Your eyes can be perfect. You can have 20-20 vision. Guess what? You still need light to see. We can't see in the darkness. The world needs the light of Jesus' followers in order to see what God wants them to see. It's kind of heavy. That's like a load, isn't it? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Well, fortunately, Jesus isn't done talking. Look at verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus' message to the world, I mean, if I could sum it up in one sentence, we look at the entirety of Jesus' ministry, what is his message to the world? He says, to the entire world, the kingdom of God is here. That's essentially what Jesus is there to proclaim. He came to announce and proclaim and inaugurate the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying to the world, the kingdom of God is here. But I believe within that, he had a very specific and particular message to his disciples. To those who would, his message was... Follow me. The kingdom of God is here. And if you're interested in that, follow me. Follow me. In other words, let me show you how life was designed to work. Let me give you the insider's tour. Live the way I live. You want to know the secret to life? It has nothing to do with the measures of success that you have been chasing. Walk instead in my footsteps. And you'll figure it out. Follow me, follow me. And so for about three years, Jesus gave a select few human beings the opportunity to do exactly that. They walked literally in his footsteps and by his side. They saw what he did, and it caused them to glorify God. Isn't that essentially what happened to the disciples? They followed him, they saw him, they watched him, they observed him, and by the end, what did they do? They glorified God. It caused them to glorify God. That was awesome. But that was never the permanent plan. For the rest of history, from that day until this one, it has been the assignment of every Christian to walk as Jesus walked so that the world won't have to wonder how God would act in any given situation. We walk as Jesus walked so that the world will understand. Do you remember um, WWJD? What does that stand for? What What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Uh, It's it's one of these questions that goes back hundreds of years. I remember it became very like Christian in vogue about 25 years ago. Everybody was wearing the the WWJD bracelets and we had it on our t-shirts and in our baseball caps. What would Jesus do? WWJD, all that stuff. If you've never encountered the WWJD fad, it's because you've never seen a Christian internet influencer, which we didn't have those back then, but whatever. Um, WWJD. We used to wear that on our wrists or on our necklaces or on our T-shirts or whatever as a helpful way of reminding ourselves of the importance of our conduct. And the idea was in any situation, in any moment, in any kind of circumstance in life, I'm going to ask myself before I act, before I speak, before I move, I'm going to ask myself in this circumstance, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And then whatever he would do, I go do that. I'm thinking about that, and in light, of what G, we will, in light of what we've heard Jesus say today, it really shouldn't be a difficult question. It occurs to me that for mature followers of Jesus Christ, <coughs> excuse me, WWJD really shouldn't be the kind of thing that we have to think about for a very long time. We shouldn't have to struggle with that question any more, hear this, than a candle has to struggle to illuminate something. Because isn't that what God is doing in our lives? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says, The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things. But such a person is not subject merely to human judgments. For who, who could know the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Rhetorically speaking, the answer is nobody, right? But we have the mind of Christ. Do you hear that in the Word of God? We, the disciples, the disciplined followers of Jesus, those who he has gathered unto his kingdom, we have the mind of Christ. Is WWJD a particularly difficult question for a, for a Christian Christian? To consider? I don't think it should be. Why not? We've been given his spirit. We have the mind of Christ. You know what I think? I think WWJD is a question for the crowd. I think it's a question for the crowd to ponder and to wonder about. Mature followers ought to know the answer and they ought to act accordingly. And that's because followers of Jesus, we've said it, are influences in the world, and bring understanding to the world by the way they live. By the way they live. There is nothing in Scripture that suggests that the lifestyle of the follower of Jesus ought to be, well, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to try and figure it out as I go. There's nothing, I think we, we kind of, we kind of take on this, this false sense of humility-based ignorance. I'm just trying to figure it out as I go. Look, I'm not suggesting that you have to make every decision exactly the right way every time. But I think we need to start living into the reality that as disciples, as disciplined followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given his spirit and we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And the world needs to understand. They need to be able to see. They need to be able to understand the message of the gospel. And Jesus says, how are they going to do that? They're going to watch you. They're going to watch you. And the way you live your life is either going to make the world go, I see it, I get it, now it makes sense. Or, the way we live our life is gonna make the world go, I still don't get it, I still don't get it. I think there's a lot of people that think the words of Christ and the message of the gospel is, have you heard this, irrelevant. It doesn't really work. You know why they think that? They think that because they haven't seen enough followers of Jesus making it work. They haven't seen enough of us actually living a disciplined life making it work. Folks, it works. It works. It works. How is the world going to understand? Jesus says they got to be able to see the way we live. Your lifestyle, your lifestyle is a testimony to the world about the nature of God himself. Now, again, I, I feel like I need to make this very, very clear. It's not my intention to suggest that you have to be a fully matured super Christian in order to have significance in God's kingdom. It's not my intention here to raise the bar any higher than the Holy Spirit would have that bar be, right? We don't want to intimidate people away from the kingdom. That's not what I'm saying. This is not an aren't we holy message. This is a look at what the word of God says, message. You do not have to be a fully matured super Christian in order to have significance in God's kingdom. I am suggesting though that you have to be faithful and you have to be fully committed to the discipline of following Jesus wherever you are. So in this moment, don't allow the enemy to overwhelm you with questions about your past or how whatever you've done already has damaged your testimony. If you're hearing that right now, oh, here's what you used to be. Here's what your past looks like. Here's what your testimony is. If you're hearing that now and you're hearing the words never or can't or wouldn't or shouldn't, that is the enemy. Cast that out, reject it right now. Don't let the enemy have that word in your life. And likewise, Don't allow the enemy to overwhelm you with questions about your future. Don't allow the enemy to tell you, oh, you could never do it. You'll never be successful. It's too much pressure. You could never get that good at living like Jesus. If you're hearing, you could never right now, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. Reject that. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to the enemy, what he has to say about your past, And don't listen to what he has to scare you about your future. Cast both of those things aside. You know what matters right now? Today. Today. Follow Jesus today. It's too many letters to fit on a bracelet. But I think the relevant question is what does faithfulness look like today? What does faithfulness look like today? No matter where you've been, no matter where you're afraid you might be going, what does faithfulness look like today? Then do that. Do that. You know what what Jesus would call that? Whatever that might be, you know what Jesus would call that? Good deeds. Good deeds are not necessarily donating a million dollars to charity, charity or helping an old lady across the street. Good deeds are not necessarily mowing your neighbor's lawn or bringing Christmas presents to the orphans in Kerbalakistan. Any one of those things might happen to fall in that category, but when Jesus talks about good deeds, let your deeds shine before men that they might glorify your father. When Jesus talks about good deeds, he's talking about faithfulness. What does faithfulness look like in your life today, today? Do that. Tomorrow morning, wake up and do the same thing. And on Tuesday, do it again. And then on Wednesday, oh, you know where I'm going, do it again and again and again. here's the thing, you do that enough days in a row, and you will find yourself to be a mature, sanctified disciple of Jesus Christ. You're sitting here today, maybe saying, oh, I could never do that. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Do it enough days in a row. And one day you're going to wake up and realize, oh my goodness, I'm a mature, sanctified disciple of Jesus Christ. I say that because that's how it worked for the 12. Their stories prove that they were fumbling, bumbling, spiritual screw-ups until they weren't. And when did that happen? I challenge you to read the stories. It's hard to say. They just were. They were screw-ups until they weren't. Until they weren't. And in this moment, when they're sitting on a mountainside with Jesus having gathered them around, even the 12, Peter, James, John, the rest of the crew, even the 12, this is early. He has just a page or two ago called them to follow him. Folks, they don't have it together yet. And he says, you're the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. And he's looking in the eyes of 12 fumbling, bumbling spiritual screw-ups who would be that way until they just weren't because they had put enough days of faithfulness together. So if you feel like a fumbling, bumbling, spiritual screw up, you are in good company. Follow the example of the disciples who gathered around Jesus that day on the mountainside. And as you do so, hear Jesus say this to you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. which have the inexplicable ability to convict and challenge and encourage all at the same time. We are convicted by the fact that too often we have been numbered among the crowd. Interested because we've had an experience or seen or heard something that we thought was amazing, but all too willing to pack it up and go home when the amazing appeared to be over with. We are challenged by the fact that you are calling your disciples to follow you. It's not in view of the passage that we read today, but most of us know the story well enough to know that that follow me was not a fun path to walk. We are challenged by what you have to say to your followers. But oh Lord, your spirit is encouraging us today. Your spirit is filling us today. Your spirit is strengthening us today. We are being renewed today as we open our hearts and receive what you have for us. We are being encouraged by the fact that you look at yet incomplete creatures of your delight and you say, you, you, are the salt of the earth and you are bringing light into this world by the way you live father i believe that you are speaking to individuals in this room right now restoring their faith in you and reminding them that you aren't done with them yet I pray, Lord, that you wouldn't just speak to your people, but that you would empower your people, that you would so fill us, God, that even we would see and realize that what you have said is true, that we are your influencers. God, with deep, deep humility and reverence and awe, We ask that you would help us to use that influence to build your kingdom and not to tear it down. We ask that you would help us to use that influence to help people to understand the gospel, not to confuse the message. We ask that you would equip us and prepare us and show us how to use our influence, God, in a way that is going to strengthen your kingdom lest we be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We want to be useful to you. So have your way in the hearts and the lives of my brothers and sisters today, we ask. Strengthen and encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody says Amen. 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 God bless you today. Gentlemen gentlemen boys males in the room happy father's day we your church family are grateful for you would you make sure you have a gift on the way out god bless you have a good day